2: When a piece published in The Nation this week, two Native American activists discuss whether we should continue celebrating Thanksgiving. One says the holiday should be decolonized. The other uh writer is my next guest. He says that we shouldn't be celebrating Thanksgiving. We should move on to Truths Giving and tell the whole story of what happened between Native Americans and European settlers. Chase Iron Eyes is a member of the Ogla. Uh, I, I, if I mispronounce that, correct me Sioux tribe and an American Indian activist. Let me hear it from you, uh, Chase. Good morning and, and Good thank morning. you for having me on. It's, it's, been- it's um, you know every every year we go through uh, these rituals. These are rituals, these holidays, these concepts, these they're part of our collective cultural mythology. And in America there is a settler a european foreigner alien settler cultural mythology from my eyes as an indigenous person we've been here for a lot longer than the settler institutions are are telling us or are teaching our children in our school so when we hijack the truth and we put in its place something that is more palatable something that eases our guilty settler conscience um it sets us up for conflict later on because truth precedes justice and justice precedes peace so when when we look at these holidays you know we have native american heritage month that's going on right now and we're just now in a state where we're consciously deconstructing um euro hetero christian programming.
3: What? Welcome back to the Trumpet Daily. <laughs> that clip there, that's from uh, Mr. Iron Eyes. He's apparently a, a lawyer, an indigenous lawyer, and uh, he's celebrating Thanksgiving this year by deconstructing Euro-Hetero-Christian programming. I was struggling to understand Probably 99% of what he was even trying to say in that clip. People, they're not thinking clearly. They can't even explain their position. I think in many ways, it's such a lazy argument. I mean, he just puts in all the buzzwords there, all the things that the Marxist professors want to hear. And apparently that makes him sound smart. It's an, an attack on Thanksgiving. They can't even have a day where we express thanks and gratitude for the blessings of this great country that, that we live in. Well, welcome back to The Trumpet Daily. I'm Sam Livingston. I'll be your guest host for today's show. Any comments or uh, feedback for the show, you can send those to td at This will be a, a shorter program today. We're recording this uh, the day of. This is obviously today is Thanksgiving. I've got quite a few longer sound bites to play for you about Thanksgiving, the history of this day, and, and the meaning of it. And then we're going to conclude today's show with a classic Key of David program, Mr. Gerald Fleury's Key of David program titled Thanksgiving that he filmed in 1999 on site in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. But before we get to all of that, we first have A very important bulletin from the regime media. This is a clip that the uh, press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, gave just the day before Thanksgiving break.
4: All right, this Thanksgiving we have a lot to be thankful for. While inflation caused by the pandemic and Russia's war continues to be a challenge, we have seen important progress. Just in, the time, just in time for holiday travel, gas prices are down cents from their peak. Airline tickets are down 13% over the last year, and car rentals are down about 10%. And as we start preparing our Thanksgiving meals, grocery inflation is at its lowest level in over two years, with prices for eggs, milks, bacon, and fresh veggies lower than last year. In fact, according to the American Farm Bureau, the cost of a Thanksgiving dinner fell this year. Prices are down for turkey, stuffing, peas, cranberries, pie crust, and whipping cream. We had a big discussion about whipping cream in the back. I don't know what whipping cream is. I know whipped cream, but not whipping cream. Anyway, because wages are rising, this Thanksgiving dinner is the fourth cheapest ever as a percentage of average earnings. Finally, as we look ahead to holiday, to holiday shopping, since last year, prices for toys are down about 4 percent, used cars and trucks are down 7 percent, and TVs are down 9 percent. Lowering costs for Americans continues to be the President's top economic priority, from strengthening supply, supply chains to lowering energy and health care costs to cracking down on price gouging by ban- banning hidden junk fees. President Biden's policy will continue bringing relief to American families.
3: Just about the only thing that I would agree with agree with her there is that we have a lot to be thankful for, but the rest of that is propaganda. Very quickly when that clip she posted that herself to the official Twitter account of the uh, the White House press secretary and Twitter immediately had a community notes on there that just fact-checked each of those things and then every stat that she gives it's all post Trump. So gas prices are down a dollar seventy from their peak. Well, well, never mind that we're the ones that brought it up to that peak of I think it was like five dollars at one point. It was averaging nationwide five dollars a gallon. Well, we brought it down a dollar seventy. So now it's it's three fifty. It's three thirty. Okay. Well, what was it before Biden got in office? that well, was two dollars. Can't talk about the good times. Airline tickets are down 13% over the last year. So essentially, all of this is we came in and we created a crisis and we beat you really hard. And now we're trying to beat you down a little less. So you better be grateful for that. (laughs) Grocery inflation is at its lowest in two years. It's still inflation. It's still rising, but we slowed the rise down a little bit. Lower than last year. Dystopian to hear them bragging about this. We pumped up the prices. We caused the crisis. And now you better be thankful that we gave you a little bit of relief from the, the punishment. Now, all of that is not an excuse to be ungrateful. We have so much to be grateful for. That doesn't mean you don't call them out over their lies. It doesn't mean you, you stop striving for the truth that you stop striving to make things better a couple verses here philippians 4 and verse 11 this is paul not that i speak in respect of want for i have learned in whatsoever state i am therewith to be content first timothy 6 and verse 6 says but godliness with contentment is great gain hebrews 13 and verse 5 says and be content with such things as you have. We have to learn to be thankful. We have to learn to be content. That doesn't There are certain things we can't be content with. We can't be content with, with sin or wrong things, but we should be in that, that state of mind that's happy no matter what condition you're in. And once a year, we have a day where we express gratitude as a national holiday. And what are the the what's the predominant messaging you hear as we approach this day? Well, like we played in that that clip from Mr. Iron Eyes, I mean Thanksgiving is about the evil colonizers, and we've got to decolonize Thanksgiving, and we're gonna call it truth-giving because uh, Mr. Iron Eyes he has the truth, right? So there's the the evil colonizer uh, history. They they can't attack the the pagan origins of all of the other holidays, but they'll come after Thanksgiving. So it's that messaging or it's get ready for Black Friday deals. Months and months of Black Friday is coming and, and the focus is all on materialism. Can't even just take one day to really express gratitude. The word content, according to Webster's 1828 dictionary, rest or quietness of the mind, in the present condition, satisfaction, which holds the mind in peace, restraining complaint, opposition, or further desire, and often implying a moderate degree of happiness. We always have something to be thankful for. We should be happy, especially for God's truth, for having that big picture perspective about the events in this world, not being worn down by the physical things. Godliness with contentment is great gain. In the description for uh, this program, I wanted to or I, I'm going to put in a list of trumpet articles that talk about the history of this day and and how it was meant to be kept and how this day is under attack. So you can go to that as a resource to understand more about it. I've got a couple, these are some longer clips from PragerU, this is Dennis Prager's uh, channel, where he talks about the history of Thanksgiving. So this is about a five minute clip that talks about the truth of the first Thanksgiving. Food, football, and oppression. That's what
0: Thanksgiving has come to mean to many Americans. Back in 2007, Seattle public school officials made national news by describing the holiday as a time of mourning and a bitter reminder of 500 years of betrayal. This new narrative describes the pilgrims as arrogant oppressors who fled persecution only to become persecutors themselves, depriving Native Americans of their land and their lives— But this is wrong on every count. First of all, the pilgrims didn't cross the ocean to flee persecution or even England. They'd been living for over a decade in Holland, Europe's most tolerant nation and a haven for religious dissenters. Free from interference by the Church of England, they feared seduction, not persecution, worrying that their children would be corrupted by the materialistic Dutch culture. That's why they risked their dangerous 1620 voyage to a wilderness continent, not because they were running from oppression, but because they were running toward holiness, fulfilling a fateful mission to build an ideal Christian commonwealth. They initially planned to plant this model society on the wild, wolf-infested island, known to natives as Manhattan but winds and tides blew them 250 miles off course, dumping the Mayflower on the frozen coast of Massachusetts. Somehow, the Pilgrims saw their dire situation as a demonstration of providential power, especially after a giant wave picked up the flimsy boat of a scouting party on a stormy December night. The turbulent sea then deposited them safely, miraculously, on a little island within sight of the ideal location for their settlement. It was a deserted Indian village with cleared land, stored supplies of corn, and a reliable source of fresh water. No, these supposedly cruel conquerors never actually invaded that village. Instead, they expressed a fervent desire to pay the natives for the dried corn they found. If only they could find someone to pay. But the former inhabitants had perished during three years of plague, probably smallpox, that immediately preceded the pilgrims' arrival. One of the few survivors of that devastation turned up several months later to welcome the English newcomers. Against all odds, he proved to be the single human being on the continent best suited to help the struggling settlers, since he spoke English and had already embraced Christianity. His name was Squanto, and he had grown up in this very village before a ruthless sea captain kidnapped him as a boy and sold him into slavery in Spain. After four years, he was freed by kindly monks, then made his way to England, and finally sailed across the Atlantic only to find his friends and family, all wiped out by disease. Over the next few months, Squanto helped the English newcomers plant crops and negotiate a friendly trade agreement with the region's most important chief, Massasoit. No wonder pilgrim leader William Bradford called Squanto a special instrument sent of God for their good. The celebration, later known as the First Thanksgiving, actually involved a three-day harvest festival in October, apparently inspired by the biblical holiday of Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. 90 hungry Indian warriors joined the 53 surviving pilgrims for this occasion. Nearly half of the colonists had died during the brutal winter. The Englishmen provided some vegetables, fish, and perhaps wild turkeys, while the natives brought five recently hunted deer as house gifts. The preferred sport on this occasion wasn't football, but shooting, with settlers and Indians sharing a fierce fascination with guns. Though these hardy pilgrims loom large in the American imagination, they never built their Plymouth settlement into a major colony. In nearby Boston, the later colony of Massachusetts Bay grew so much faster that it swallowed up the great-grandchildren of the pilgrims in 1691. But the sense of purpose of the original pilgrims left a permanent imprint on the national character. They maintained unshakable confidence that God protected them, not to grant special privileges, but to impose special responsibilities. They saw themselves as instruments, not authors, of a mysterious master plan. Today, with our continued blessings so obvious and so overwhelming, the only reason to treat this beloved national holiday as a time of mourning is that some foolish Americans actually think that's a good idea. The pilgrims knew better. They understood that people of every culture and every era can gain more from gratitude than from guilt.
3: One of the articles that I put in the description is titled, Thank God for the Name of Israel. And it talks about the depths of this attack on Thanksgiving. Mr. McDonald this, writes in this article, but there is an even deeper, more important dimension to Thanksgiving. And more than ever, we need to understand this vital dimension and thank God profusely for it. And it talks about how this day is about uh, praising and thanking God for the blessings of Abraham. And of course, when you have a day that talks about that, the, the radical leftists, the anti Americans, want to attack it. He quotes a November eighteenth, 2020 speech by Tom Cotton, uh, a senator, and he talked about Thanksgiving, and he came under attack for that speech by Ilhan Omar and the New York Times, and they just want to blot out this history. We have to express thanks for the blessings of Abraham, and if you don't understand that, if you don't know that history, Read the United States and Britain in Prophecy. That really is mostly what this day is about. God giving, God blessing our nations. Another one of those articles I'll put in the description. The hidden lesson of the first thanksgiving. Another one is remembering the first thanksgiving. Life for Americans getting tougher. Another one, understanding the pilgrim's plight. Look at the the tests and the trials that they went through, far more difficult than anything we're going through today at this moment. Another article is titled, Simply Thanksgiving Day. It says, Few seem willing to admit it today, but Americans have not gotten their national blessings and prosperity by their own goodness. God, out of His goodness, has given America incredible abundance and fulfillment of His promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These blessings have been showered upon the birthright nations descending from Abraham, which include Canada, Britain, Australia, New Zealand, among others. The United States and Britain in Prophecy details the exciting and astounding story of just how these nations received such blessings. And it goes on to talk about how we should express gratitude every single day. And it talks about the curses that come when you are ungrateful. Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28 detail those things. This book, The United States and Britain in Prophecy, detail those things. And you see those curses setting in because even on a day called Thanksgiving, we don't express gratitude the way that we should. This book came under attack. Mr. Armstrong wrote it and his successors. They blotted this history out. They essentially came, came down to, was one of the leaders there said, well, the truth in this bo- or the content of this book just amounts to, so what? I mean, when you understand what this book is about, it's, that's one of the most offensive comments you could ever hear. Well, so what? Mr. Gerald Flurry writes about that in his book, The New Throne of David. He says, soon after Mr. Armstrong died, the people who took over the church rejected the truth unlocked by that key in Mr. Armstrong's book, The United States and Britain in Prophecy. Worldwide Church of God leadership slashed away 70% of that book. Then they lied about shelving the book for a short review process. Joseph Tkach Jr. said that the marvelous understanding in that book boils down to, so what? And they, And When you don't have this history, you can't understand r- the Bible. You can't understand world events. You can't understand current news today. We should be very thankful for that book, for what we know, for those blessings that we experience, those blessings of Abraham. Okay, I've got one more clip here for you, another longer clip. This is also from Prager University, and it's about how Thanksgiving became uh, an American holiday.
5: In Plymouth, Massachusetts, in the autumn of 1621, 53 men, women, and children celebrated their first harvest in the New World. The great Indian chief, Massasoit brought 90 of his men to the three-day party. From all reports, a good time was had by all. How did this event, which happened almost 400 years ago, become a part of the American story and our oldest national tradition? Credit goes to many people, but two stand out. One you know and one you should know, Abraham Lincoln and Sarah Josepha Hale. More on both in a moment. As a religious people, Americans have always had a keen sense they have been blessed by providence. The Pilgrims certainly felt this, and so did subsequent generations, including George Washington. Washington was the first president to declare a national day of public thanksgiving and praise. But it wasn't until the Civil War that the idea of a national day of thanksgiving fully took hold. In the autumn of 1863, at the height of the Civil War, when Americans were bitterly divided, Abraham Lincoln nevertheless called for a day of national thanksgiving. Lincoln began his proclamation this way, the year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. This was an extraordinary way to characterize 1863, the bloodiest year of the war. But even in the midst of a civil war of unequaled severity and magnitude, Lincoln continued, the nation had much to be thankful for and much to look forward to. The day was coming when America would again be united and experience, as Lincoln put it, a large increase of freedom. It was a profoundly hopeful message, reminding Americans of their nation's capacity for renewal. Lincoln's decision to call for a national thanksgiving came at the urging of a far-sighted and persistent magazine editor who believes such a celebration would have a deep moral influence on the American character. Her name was Sarah Josepha Hale. More than any single person, she is the reason we celebrate Thanksgiving today. By the 1840s, many states had established an annual day of Thanksgiving, but the date varied widely from state to state. Hale saw the value of a day in which the entire nation celebrated as one. For two decades, she conducted a campaign to consolidate public support for her idea. As the influential editor of one of the most popular periodicals of the 19th century, year after year she wrote columns making the case for the holiday. She published fiction and poems with a Thanksgiving Day theme, and she offered her readers recipes for traditional Thanksgiving dishes, such as roast turkey and pumpkin pie. And by the way, she also wrote the nursery rhyme, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Presidents Zachary Taylor, Millard Fillmore, and Franklin Pierce, to whom she had written letters, showed little interest in her cause. But Lincoln saw its potential. His proclamation was the first in what became an unbroken string of annual Thanksgiving proclamations by every subsequent president. Congress finally sealed the deal in 1941 when President Franklin Roosevelt signed legislation making Thanksgiving an official national holiday. Lincoln and Hale believed the act of expressing gratitude had tremendous healing power. In his Thanksgiving proclamation, Lincoln spoke not as commander-in-chief of the Union forces, but as president of the entire nation, North and South. He made no reference to rebels or enemies, Rather, the president spoke of the whole American people. It's a message that resonates today when Americans, even within families, are divided over issues of politics and culture. Thanksgiving, our nation's oldest tradition, brings us together just as it brought the pilgrims and Indians together in 1621. Lincoln said it best when he called on every American to celebrate Thanksgiving with one heart and one voice. Thanksgiving gives us a moment to focus on the blessings of being Americans, on the prosperity, security, and freedom we enjoy. If Lincoln could focus on these blessings in the middle of the Civil War, we should certainly be able to do so today. Here's a suggestion. At this year's Thanksgiving table, ask everyone to spend a minute to say what they are grateful for. I suspect you'll find your guests will have a long and eloquent list. And if they don't, you can help them out. Suggest they start with family, friends, and living in the freest country in the world. After all, if we don't give thanks, what's the point of Thanksgiving?
3: One thing I like about that video is showing the context and, and the, how that day became established. And it's in the midst of tremendous conflict. George Washington there as the nation is being born. Abraham Lincoln as the nation is pulling itself apart. And then Roosevelt, I think, uh, made it a national holiday just before World War II started or before the United States entered into that war. But in the midst of these severe and heavy trials, they recognized the, the value of gratitude. And being thankful and like those articles I mentioned earlier at the trumpet that's something we have to do every day it's a state of mind that we have to have each and every day give thanks to God in the midst of those severe trials give thanks to God when you're not going through those trials every day there's something to be thankful for all right well I'll go ahead and shift gears here and go ahead and start playing the Key of David program by Mr. Fleury. Again, this is the program titled Thanksgiving. He gave this, it first aired in 1999. This is filmed on set or uh, on scene in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. If you have any comments for the show, you can send those to td at thetrumpet.com. Thank you very much for joining us and have a happy Thanksgiving.
1: After the battle of Gettysburg, there were so many dead bodies nearly 50,000 of them that the governor of Pennsylvania arranged to have these 17 acres set aside and eventually dedicated by President Lincoln as the Gettysburg National Cemetery. With Thanksgiving only four days away, I wonder how many Americans really observe this holiday the way President Lincoln said we should. And how does the death of all these soldiers relate to your Thanksgiving Day? Revelation, as I've said before, is the principal book of prophecy in the New Testament of the Bible.
4: The Key of David with Gerald Flurry.
1: I'm speaking to you today from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. This is a place where a terrible battle was fought. 48,000 men died here in Gettysburg during the Civil War, one of the greatest and most important battles of that war. 48,000 men died in three days. We only had 58,000 men die during the Vietnam War in 10 years. But here, we had so many die in such a short amount of time. That happened in America. All that bitterness and all that hatred was on this soil and happened in this very area. And of course, we see quite a lot of division even in America today. Behind me is what is called East Cemetery Hill. The Confederates took that hill And then they didn't get the expected reinforcements. Later on, they had to retreat, and they lost 350 of their soldiers in that retreat. One of their officers, Colonel Isaac Avery, was shot in the saddle, and he told his men to be sure and tell everybody that he died facing the enemy. If you look closely, you can probably see tombstones behind me through the trees on that hill. I wanted to read you something here from Gary Wills in his book, Lincoln at Gettysburg. He had this to say about this area. Quote, householders had to plant around the bodies in their fields and gardens or brace themselves to move the rotting corpses to another place. Soon these uneasy graves were being rifled by relatives looking for their dead. Reburying their bodies, they turned up even more hastily and less adequately than had the first disposal crews. Three weeks after the battle, a prosperous Gettysburg banker, David Wills, reported to Pennsylvania's Governor Curtin, in many instances, arms and legs, and sometimes heads protrude, and my attention has been directed to several places where the hogs were actually rooting out the bodies and devouring them. In the meanwhile, the whole area of Gettysburg, a town of only 2,500 inhabitants, was one makeshift burial ground, fetid and steamy. I mean, this had become a, an environmental nightmare. Can you imagine this little town being one huge grave and looking around in some areas seeing a, an arm or a hand protruding from the ground or maybe a head? I mean, that was, that was something that is even hard for us to imagine in peaceful America today. Abraham Lincoln became very discouraged at one time in the war because there was so much evil going on. People were lying and they were doing all kinds of terrible things and he couldn't understand that. He was a very righteous man. And he said, here we are on the brink of destruction, and yet we have people going around and telling lies that you couldn't even impose upon a child ordinarily. Why is that? He saw great evil in the land, and that offended his righteousness. And I want to talk to you about two proclamations that were made in the year 1863, both of them very closely related, and frankly both of them revolving around God and sin here is what Abraham Lincoln said, We find ourselves in the peaceful possession of the fairest portion of the earth as regards fertility of soil, extent of territory, and salubrity of climate. We find ourselves a legal inheritance of these fundamental blessings. We toil not in the acquirement or the establishment of them. Where did we get all of these blessings in America, the wealthiest, richest nation in the world? Abraham Lincoln said we didn't toil for that. It was given to us. And of course, we've been telling you that for years. But in a proclamation, April 30th, 1863, for a nationwide day of fasting and prayer, here is what Mr. Lincoln said. It is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. Can you imagine a president talking that way today or a member of Congress? That those nations only are blessed, whose God is the Lord? Pretty strong statement. Would offend a lot of people. But he said it. Mr. Lincoln goes on to say, We have been the recipients of the choicest blessings of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God, but we have forgotten God. Now if he thought they had forgotten God then, how about today? How about this time in America? He goes on to say, we have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. We have vainly imagined the deceitfulness of our hearts, or in the deceitfulness of our hearts." that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. All this wealth, all these blessings in this country more than any place on this earth. Where did we get those blessings? Where did they come from? Well, Abraham Lincoln began to realize very deeply that they came from God and he was trying to convey that to the people in America at that time and get them to think about God. Now we have all these blessings because of another Abraham in the Bible who was obedient to God, and we've explained it in our, that in our book on the United States and Britain and Prophecy for years, that we were given all these blessings as a result of Abraham's obedience. Mr. Lincoln said that America at that time had forgotten God. And look how much worse it is today. If you want to make some comparisons, how much worse is it today than it was then? And yet he said they had forgotten God. And no president has ever talked to the American people about God like Abraham Lincoln did. Not before or since, frankly. And we say he is the, or was the greatest president we've ever had. And uh, most people would, uh, I think, say that. And uh, what about his example and what about his instruction to us today? Now we have serious problems in our nation today. We're even discussing the possible impeachment of our president. I'd say that's a pretty difficult uh, problem to deal with. Is it because we too have forgotten God? Is that the, the heart of the problem? Well, we need to learn from this greatest of all presidents as far as I'm concerned in the United States. He concludes by saying intoxicated with unbroken success we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity for redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness then that That president, he set aside a national day of prayer and fasting. But he said, God has been offended by what we've done, by our rebellion in this war, our uh, belief in slavery, and certain problems like that in this land. And he said, we need to confess our national sins. Confess our national sins. Well, I mean, when you go around seeing arms and hands and heads protruding from the ground because of uh, a terrible battle, I suppose it's time to get serious. But he, in one sense, brought the nation to their knees. Shortly, be just a few months before this battle here at Gettysburg, after the North had lost victories in Chancellorsville and Fredericksburg, Abraham Lincoln went into his room and locked the door, got down on his knees, and prayed to God for victory at Gettysburg. It was already beginning to build, and he knew there was going to be a battle there. Prayed to God, according to Wayne Whipple, one of his biographers, that God would give him victory. and He made a vow to God and said, if you give us victory, I will stand by you, and I will take a stand for you every opportunity I have. And I think Abraham Lincoln did. Now it is interesting that the tide of war changed here in Gettysburg. Who changed that? Did prayer to God change that? If we were to bring our nation to its knees today, if we had a president or a congress that had the courage to do that, what a difference it would make in our land. And what a difference it made during the Civil War, even though we might tend to deny that. Look at the fruits. Look at the fruits. Here's a little more of that proclamation. He says, whereas A joint committee of both houses of Congress has waited on the President of the United States and requested him to recommend a day of public humiliation, prayer, and fasting to be observed by the people of the United States with religious solemnities and the offering of fervent supplications to Almighty God for the safety and welfare of these states. Both houses of Congress, the House of Representatives and the Senate, asking the President to have a day of fasting and prayer that God might heal the nation. The nation was healed. The war changed here at Gettysburg and began to then go in the favor of the North. And the union was saved. The union was saved. But imagine that happening today in this land. The president and both houses of Congress praying to God And having a day of fasting and prayer to heal the land. What a difference that would make regarding our problems today. I mean, actually recognizing the supreme government of God. That would be refreshing indeed. But he went on to talk about the sins of the nation. And and this proclamation also reads, and whereas when our own beloved country, once by the blessing of God, united, prosperous, and happy, is now afflicted with faction and war. And he went on to say a little further, we need to humble ourselves before him and to pray for his mercy, to pray that way we may be spared further punishment, though most justly deserved. I mean, he felt that they were being punished for their sins punished by God because of that war, and because of what they had done leading up to that war, punished by God? Does God punish nations that way? Will He punish us this way? Well, Abraham Lincoln certainly thought so, if you look at uh, his beliefs here. So he said, therefore, I, President of the United States, do appoint uh, the last Thursday in September next as a day of humiliation, prayer, and fasting for all the people. And uh, trying to get them to go, as he said, to that throne of grace. But how far have we gotten from God today compared to where they were then? How far are we from God? Can you imagine something like this happening? And yet, we call Lincoln a great president, perhaps the greatest we've ever had. Do we follow his example? Will we listen to his instructions today? Will we learn and avoid a crisis like this again? And who's to say we're not heading for something like that? I tell you there are many Bible scriptures that says we are, but God punished America. And Lincoln thought one of the reasons they were punished was because of slavery, and it was wiped out after the Civil War. It was gone. And God did take it away. And Lincoln said, look, let, let's think about uh, both the North and the South being guilty. Well, the, everybody tolerated it. We're all guilty. Let's think about that. And let's think about a new cause of revering God and, and, and applying the justice of God in our land, the justice of God and the goodness of God. He made some beautiful statements and said that we have to get rid of our sins and repent of our sins, and God punished them violently. Abraham Lincoln certainly believed that. Now he freed the slaves, but uh, are we free of racial hatred? Oh, no, I would say it's, uh, in some respects, getting worse. How are we going to solve that? Is it going to take another crisis like the Civil War? Are we going to have to have race riots or all kinds of problems like that to solve uh, our hatred between races? Well, Jesus Christ said, if you hate your neighbor or your fellow man, you're guilty of murder. Now, if we listen to Christ, we could solve that problem today. But are we going to do it? Or is it going to take another crisis? for us to see our own sins and to repent of them. After that day of prayer, which was really for the crisis at hand, that was in April, 1863, President Lincoln, I think, wanted a day where they could thank and thank God and focus on God for all time. So he had another proclamation. And I think it really flowed from this first one on uh, prayer and fasting so that we could have a national holiday. And I want to read you a quote from this proclamation about Thanksgiving. Now this happened a week and a half after the battle here at Gettysburg. Here is the proclamation he made. Proclamation of Thanksgiving, he said it has pleased Almighty God to hearken to the supplications and prayers of an afflicted people and to vouchsafe to the Army and the Navy of the United States victories on land and on the sea so signal and so effective and to furnish reasonable grounds for augmented confidence that the union of these states will be maintained, their constitution preserved, and their peace and prosperity permanently restored. Peace and prosperity restored. It is meet and right to recognize and confess the presence of the Almighty Father and the power of His hand equally in these triumphs and in these these sorrows. Now, therefore, be it known that I do set apart Thursday, the sixth, to be observed as a day for national thanksgiving. Praise and prayer, praise and prayer. And I invite the people of the United States to assemble on that occasion in their customary places of worship and in the forms approved by their own consciences render the homage to the divine majesty for the wonderful things he has done in the nation's behalf. Appealing to the people on the day of thanksgiving to praise God and pray to God and assemble and worship God on that day and thank God as he said for all the wonderful things he has done in the nation's behalf. Now how How well do we uh, uh, follow that instruction today on our day of thanksgiving? What do we do on the day of thanksgiving? Do we worship God, pray to God, praise God, or do we get into sports and drunkenness and all other kinds of evil? Do we really think about God on that day? Do we really set it aside as worship for God? I think anybody uh, in the audience knows that's not true. We don't do that. We don't do that, and we have serious problems today. And there is a connection. There is a connection. God says so. But here we are again, this wealthiest nation in the world. And can't we set aside a day and thank God and praise Him for all that He's done for us? Notice Deuteronomy 8, verses 11 through 14. Here's what God says, Beware that you forget not the Eternal your God, in not keeping His commandments, and His judgments, and His statutes, which I command you this day, lest when you have eaten and are full, like we are, you see, at Thanksgiving time, and have built goodly houses, and dwelt therein, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord God which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You forget, but he says in verses 1 and 2, we ought to remember and humble ourselves. Remember and humble ourselves. And we ought to remember. We ought to remember today about Gettysburg and losing 48,000 men in three days. We ought to remember that and all the bitterness and all the hatred that was going on in this land and it's building again today in a lot of ways. We have many problems. How are we going to solve them? Abraham Lincoln thought there was only one way to solve them and he knew he could not. And he said so. And he said only God can solve our problems. They're too big for men. Men can't solve these problems. How can men solve problems like a a nation falling apart and being disunited? And now we have so many blessings today as a result of what God did through Abraham Lincoln and people at that time. Look at the peace and look at the prosperity and look at the happiness we have had being a united states rather than a disunited group of states where we wouldn't have near the prosperity and wouldn't have near the abundance. What a difference it makes if we... Thank God and praise God. Second Timothy 3, verses 1 and 2. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. Unthankful? It's a prophecy for the last days. Unthankful. We're living in the last days. Are we thankful? God says we're not. And we're unholy. We need a day of Thanksgiving for the uh, kept for uh, the right purposes, and with the purpose in mind that Abraham Lincoln had when he established it as a national holiday in 1863 during the Civil War. During the Civil War, and just shortly after this terrible battle right here, just a few days later. But do we remember what happened? Do we remember all of those many men who died that we may live and that we may have one nation under God? They died so we could have all of those freedoms and joys. Verse 2 says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. we don't even have the natural affection we once had in in the families. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinence, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Wow. Does Does that ever strike home today? Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God? Well, why don't we examine our Thanksgiving day and see if that isn't true? Just one day and see if we don't love pleasure more than we love God overall. And then you can begin to see why we have so many problems in this land today. Timothy concludes by saying having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Turn away from that way of living. At the end of the war According to again to Wayne Whipple, one of his biographers, after General Lee surrendered at Appomattox, President Lincoln got all of his cabinet together and they bowed down on their knees and thanked God that the war was over. They thanked God that it was over. The whole cabinet prayed to God and thanked Him. I wonder if that ever has ever been done since. I wonder if it's ever been done since. There was an official proclamation in October, 1864, and I'll just read you a little of that. Uh, Again, making certain that we have a day of thanksgiving. And uh, this was set aside, and I'll read you just a little bit of of this official proclamation. It says, it has pleased Almighty God to prolong our national life another year, defending us with his, his guardian care against unfriendly designs from abroad and vouchsafing to us in his mercy many and signal victories over the enemy. A little further down he says, Moreover, he has been pleased to animate and inspire our minds and hearts with fortitude, courage and resolution sufficient for the great trial of civil war into which we have been brought by our adherents as a nation to the cause of freedom and humanity, and to afford to us reasonable hopes of an ultimate and happy deliverance from all our dangers and afflictions. It was beginning to be turned around in 64, and the war was about over. Now therefore I, Abraham Lincoln, President of the United States, do hereby appoint and set apart the last Thursday in November next, as a day which I desire to be observed by all my fellow citizens wherever wherever they may then be, as a day of thanksgiving and praise to Almighty God, the beneficent creator and ruler of the universe. I mean, this man is sounding somewhat like a prophet of God. (laughs) A beautiful proclamation. But here's what he wants us to do. And certainly he was thinking about the future America. And I do farther recommend to my fellow citizens, aforesaid, that on that occasion they do reverently humble themselves in the dust, and from thence offer us penitent and fervent prayers and supplications to the great disposer of events for return of the inestimable blessings of peace, union, and harmony throughout the land, which it has pleased Him to assign as a dwelling place for ourselves and for our posterity throughout all generations. That's today, ongoing, time ongoing, in testimony whereof I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed, signed. Abraham Lincoln. Now today, as we're facing world cosmicide and a world calamity and a world catastrophe, isn't it time that we think about what Abraham Lincoln said and think about how far we've removed from where they were at that time in relation to God? How far we are from God and how much we can turn our lives around and receive all these blessings that Abraham Lincoln is talking about. That's what we need to be aware of today. Until next week, this is Gerald Flurry. Goodbye, friends.